UN Today and Here's London present Health Today, a series of interviews with health experts based in Switzerland who share their personal stories, their professional experience, and how they envision their work in the future. Today we talk to Dalit Steiger Gamblinger, the co-founder of the world-leading artificial intelligence network Swiss Cognitive. Dalit, thank you very much for coming all the way to Geneva for this interview. As always, I, I suggest that we start with the job interview question. What can you tell us about yourself? I was born in Israel and grew up in Switzerland. And as a child, actually, I wanted to be a dentist for elephant. Mm -hmm. But it happens that today I'm an entrepreneur and I'm the co-founder of the award-winning startup Swiss Cognitive, and we are looking at AI. What could you tell us about the, the very beginning of your career? My school was actually very tough. I uh, had to repeat the classes and I figured out that I'm actually not really the brilliant student. Uh -huh. But at the end of the day, suddenly, I felt very comfortable within the mathematics and physics. I went into information technology, even into computational biology and gene technology. And there I found out that technology is actually a great tool that helps a human being. I really love to read posts and blogs, especially in LinkedIn. This is where I follow different people. And what about your personal life? Besides my passion for technology, I'm a loving mother of two young women girls, so I'm, I love to go out with them, do things. Uh -huh. I'm actually a mountain biker and I love a high hill. What exactly is your responsibility at work? We are running a startup, Swiss Cognitive, what is a network that connects and shares experience all around cognitive technology. And I'd rather talk about cognitive technology than AI because we don't talk about sci-fi, we don't talk about terminators, we talk about the real thing. What can we do with technology? We have a lot of debates. We're inviting all the stakeholders in the ecosystem to discuss, to exchange, to learn from each other and to make sure that we develop our future uh -huh. based on an intelligent AI. I think Switzerland is probably the only country that can talk to every other country in the world. If they're going to listen to us, this is another question, but at least we have the ability to talk to them, to tell them what we think. And also with regards again to the human right, Switzerland has a great stake in there. And I think with AI, I see or we see it as our responsibility and duty to step in all around the policymaking and make sure, like the human rights with AI, that we have strong rules. Within those rules, we can develop and use this technology. People say, but AI is biased, for example. I say, what do you mean by AI is biased? It's a human, it's a human being who is biased. So for me, it's like now we have the chance to unbiased the bias. The algorithm is just putting the mirror in front of us, telling us, you know what? I got a biased solution or a biased result because this is just based on the data I'm getting. And the data we bring in to the system is the data at the end, how you and me are thinking. So for me, it's now a great chance to unbiased to bias and make sure that we develop 
cognitive technology towards a human and a responsible and trustworthy technology. What does that mean if you have breast cancer and you go to the doctor and he tells you, okay, I look at the x-ray, I think it might be something. I have to talk to my friend in the US, in Australia. There is a professor, he's special or she's specialist in it. Now with AI, you can actually compare to thousands of thousands of similar pictures. I see. At the end of the day, it's still the doctor who is looking at me, it's still the human being. It's still a human being talking to a human being and find out also of a on a um, psychological view, like where you're coming from, how you live, how healthy you are, how your appearance is, we still need that. Based on the, on the responsibilities that you have, how would you foresee this job in the future? To predict now is very, very difficult. But one of the most important things for us is to make sure that we do a lot of awareness campaigning around the topic of AI, bringing it down to a level where companies see their chances, how they can incorporate the technology in their business. And there are different things. I mean, there is not only research and development. There is also about just doing your products and services smart. I understand. And this is a process, you know, in the old economy, we were always thinking in these silos and how can I compete? I have to get bigger and wider and take more out of the market. And instead of doing this, I think in the future, and it's actually not in 10 years, I think this can come instantly. Next day, you're going to stand on the wrong tectonic uh, uh, plateau because someone just decided to do it differently. So what we need to see is which part of our business can we disrupt with technology? Do I want to go to a doctor who is a human being, but he relies on the technology, who does all the statistical evaluation, who checks different kinds of x-rays, for example, with a huge database of other similar pictures? Or do I really want to be treated by a robot? Probably not. Unfortunately, I had to be quite a while in the children's hospital with my daughter when she was small. And I was sitting there, and I'm telling you as a parent, it's really tough if you sit there day by day and you see how stressed the nurses are. They don't really have time for the kids. This is one point why the parents are sitting with the kids there, but actually I had a job. So I really had to take off to be able to sit there. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when the kid is in a good shape and she had a good day, if a robot will come and bring her the food, bring her the, the pills to take and would even joke with her, sing with her, play with her, what's bad in that? But when she's doing really bad, if she has pain and if she's afraid and she's crying, then she needs a nurse. And then the nurse would have time because she's here when she needs her. And this is one of the things that I see that we as human beings, we don't need to fight against the technology. We have to find a mutual way, a mutual beneficial way. How can we support ourselves? Because the human being is not as fast 
is not as performant like the technology. So we should outsource where we are weak and remain with the things that we are strong. And these are feelings, emotions, and still creativity. Thank you, Dalit. Would you, would you please tell me why Switzerland is performing so well when it comes to artificial intelligence? One of the reasons is we have the best leading technology universities. I mean, we have the EPFL, the ETH, we have EDIAP, and we have ITIA. We have great applied universities in Switzerland. They're doing really a great job. So on research and development, we definitely can compete on a global level. When we're talking about the application of technology, I think there we're lacking behind. We're, we're not belonging to the first movers, unfortunately. I would love to see Switzerland as a stardom nation as Israel is, because I'm absolutely convinced that Switzerland has the right prerequisite to be a stardom nation. And we have great minds, great talents. Uh, we have all the prerequisites that we need. We have actually also enough money, but we don't have enough venture capital because people are afraid. They're not as risk-friendly like the Americans or the Israeli. And I think there we could do much better. When you, when you say we could do much better, you're referring to uh, execution? Execution-wise and uh, also investing in ideas of, of startups. At the end of the day, you have to invest in a lot to make sure that you gain something. But if you always think of, oh, it needs to be 150%, sure, we're not going to succeed. And Switzerland is one of the most beautiful countries to live. It's a secure country. And if you think, why should talent come to Switzerland? I mean, we're all seeking for talents. So one of the benefits that we can give is, I mean, if you have kids, they can walk to school by themselves. You have a nice living, you have a great nature, you have great culture, you have the best universities, you have anyway a great uh, education, one of the uh, few globally that are based on a, uh, how do you say, uh, the dual, the dual uh, school system. Okay. So uh, we don't have only great university, also we have this dual school system. I mean, we have a lot of benefits that we can give to talents, how we can attract talents. But at the end of the day, it's not only about development and research, it's also about really building up new business models, investing in new business, disrupt businesses. And there I see that we're a little bit reluctant. We definitely can do better. And I'm sure Switzerland can definitely be one of the top five AI hubs globally. Uh, let's say that we Actually, we, you, you, you have the, the chance to sit in front of the Swiss Minister of Technology and uh, she's asking you where, where according to, to your experience with Swiss Cognitive, where do you think we should put the effort to promote artificial intelligence more in the country? What would you tell her? 
First of all, definitely encouraging, but encouraging is not something that at the end of the day, uh, I mean, what I would say definitely is from a political perspective is we need to be able to attract talents. We need to see how can we bring them in. So it's a question of the contingent. So this is definitely one point that we need to, in my opinion, to be more open. The other thing is from a tax perspective, that we really have to think of how can we as a, as a country support um, startups remaining in Switzerland from a tax perspective because we need to make sure that the IP rights remain in Switzerland, that the startups remain in Switzerland and not going outside or the States or wherever. And the third thing I think it's, and this is quite difficult, you know, like how much should they or must they get involved in the whole policy-making discussion. Because on one hand, if you have too many regularities, you're stopping the development. And on the other hand, a government has also the duty and the responsibility, obviously, to take care about that. So there, what I would wish is to have more green fields, sandboxes, where different industry can try and do things, meaning for autonomous cars, for example, that you really have to give them the space. For example, an old uh, airport, whatever, I don't know. So I think we need to give more possibility, more freedom to develop in a good environment, in an environment where you also can take risk to find out what can be applicable then if you go kind of out into the real world. What is your, your opinion about Elon Musk's proposal to um, insert a chip in people to access more and better information? What's your take about it? I have here my own boundaries, honestly. I mean, I'm sure that this will come. Absolutely, because I mean, embedded chips, I mean, we have, or I mean, we are dependent on organs, you know, I mean, that we can change an organ to survive, for example. So um, I'm actually convinced that embedded chip will be here faster than we can think of and that we wish. I mean, I have a huge respect about that. On the other hand, I must say, we are, re, re, are we rely also on the possibility of um, changing organs if, if you need to, if you're sick, if you have like uh, something or joints that you have artificial joints, hips, knees, elbows, whatever. So this is also something that the old days, the human being would have thought this will never work and it works. So I'm sure there will be a lot of positive things all around the embedded chip, how it can help us, how it can support us. But still there, I must say, I have a huge respect what will be the outcome, especially because if you there start to think of how you can attack chips, embedded chips, this is where I'm also very, very careful. So, when we talk about policies linked to international law, what state are we in when we think about artificial intelligence? I mean, this is definitely one of the topics of the UN, discussing policy making all around AI. 
and it's definitely also a topic of the AI for Good department. Um, there are a lot, there is a lot going on, a lot of discussion. I can't remember the number of how many Kartjas uh, exist already. And I think the biggest challenge that we have, and again, uh, I would say it's even the bigger challenge than the human rights, but also the human rights was already, it is a huge challenge. How can you convince different countries, and I don't want to mention any country as a country, but we all know that coming from Europe, especially from Switzerland, we have a total other view on how human rights, children's rights needs to be than in other areas of this world. And this is a huge challenge because just one example that I would like to, to share. Um, we have been in Zurich, uh, had someone over from China. We walked through Zurich and crossed a strait uh, and he and someone crossed by red and he suddenly said that's so strange there are no cameras around how how do you feel safe to lit walking through Zurich if there are no cameras making sure that everything is secure and we were looking at him and saying like we don't like big, big brothers watching us it's like it's not allowed here you can't have cameras all over and then he said, but how can you then feel secure? And this showed me that he has just a total different point of view. And I even can understand if you race like that, this is how you see it. So how do you want to discuss ethical aspects if you're coming from total different backgrounds? And this is the challenge. And this is why I think Switzerland has a huge responsibility to push this forward. Thank you so much. And the last question. Um, not all decision makers are determined to incorporate artificial intelligence into their organizations. So in terms of execution, what do you think would be the way to convince them to understand artificial intelligence radio radiography or X-ray? I think it's even not that they don't understand. Sometimes they even understand what is going on. But they're sitting on their, sorry, clip, clip, jump, jump, you know, I have my job, I'm going to be in pension in the next five years. Why should I actually invest into something that I'm not sure it's going to work? I have my bonus, everything is fine, is working. Why should I actually invest myself and go into the risk? And this is one of the things that I'm sure that if you would switch the scheme of for example, bonuses. Well, in, in my opinion, you can even give bigger bonuses, but after 10 years, for example, if someone really acts for the company, for the future generation, make sure that this company is still alive, is developing well in the next five and 10 years, then you did a great decision back. But if people are always taking decisions for the next 12 or 18 months, because it's just because of their own bonus, they're not going to think for the whole society or even for their company. So for that to happen, you, you will need to challenge the board, right? You need to challenge the board a lot, absolutely. And you need to make sure that they understand 
that every single decision they're taking, it's, ba it's, it's on the back of the future generation. And especially with regards to technology, the chances that we have, we need to give the people the, the freedom, the space to try. And this is perhaps something that we haven't touched base before. Working with artificial intelligence, working in the field of the development of business models, it's a, an iterative process. It's not a plug and play, and it's also not some nerds developing an algorithm based on an idea that comes from the business. It's really about merging the two. It's about an iterative process of trial and error and realizing what we want, what is the data actually bringing out, what do we have to adjust, also what we discussed about the biases. And this is one of the things that they need to understand, give the people, the team, the possibility, the playground and the budget to try to work together with startups. And Switzerland actually is very strong here with the PPP, public-private partnerships that we have. It's a great thing, but at the end of the day, and also universities are relying on that, that the big companies are investing the money. But, excuse my French, cover my policy, doesn't work here. If you want to succeed, you have also to be open to do things that might not work, but then you find out what might work and you do something good for the future generations. So thank you very much for listening to this new edition of the podcast Health Today, produced by UN Today and Here's London.